0: So let me recap for us what's just happened in the story. So Jesus is walking through Samaria... And this is already a big deal because the Jewish people were not cool with the Samaritans. This is um, hundreds and hundreds of years of racial tension and hatred uh, toward each other from the Jews and the Samaritans, so much so that most of the time Jews would, uh, so the, uh, Judea is in the north, then you have Samaria. And to get below Samaria, they would go all the way around Samaria in order to get to the southern country. So they like, didn't even want to set foot in the country. Uh, and Jesus chooses to walk through Samaria and he he has this moment where he is thirsty. The disciples have gone off and he stops to talk to the Samaritan woman and ask her for a drink. It's about noon. And that's, that's a big deal. We'll talk about that here in a couple minutes. And she basically says, okay, why would you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan. And even on top of that, I'm a woman. There are sociocultural things here that prevent us from interacting. So why are you talking to me, Jesus? And Jesus responds. He says, okay, if you knew who was asking you, uh, you would ask me for a drink. And she's like, Cool question, Jesus, but you don't have a bucket to draw water with. So she kind of like gives this barrage of questions back to Jesus. She's like, you don't have a bucket to draw water with. Um, Are you too good for this well? And she references Jacob, who's kind of a hero of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. She's like, are you too good for Jacob's well? Like, do do you want me to give you a drink? And um, so she starts asking these questions. And then Jesus points out the flaw in her well, so to speak, he says, uh, it doesn't work long-term. Ter- long it only works for a moment, and then you have to come back and get more water. But my well satisfies forever. So this is gonna be our first barrier for worship. Our first barrier is that we are drinking from the wrong well. This is a barrier to worship, drinking from the wrong well. And I want to highlight three wells in our culture that we go to over and over again, despite the fact they don't satisfy us uh, and we have to keep uh, thirsting for more. So here's the first one. We talked about this a few minutes ago, money and comfort. This is a well that we go to. We talked about this at length last week. You know how, I mean, this is so difficult to me. It's like new stuff is nice. I, I, I love the kind of the high you get when you get a new gadget or new something. And it's like, but that wears off so quickly, doesn't it? The high just kind of goes away and you're like, ah, I kind of want something new again. And it just kind of keeps us in this well where we have to keep going back for more. We don't realize that it's like salt water. It's like we keep drinking more and more and more and we keep just getting more and more and more thirsty. There's a well that we go to in our culture. Second one, relationships and sex. So in the same way that money and comfort are not intrinsically wrong, neither is relationships and sex. Everything gets off when we elevate these things beyond what they were created to function in our lives. So when we elevate these things to the point of they're our sole aim of our attention and affection, that's when everything gets off. So um, God created relationships and sex to be enjoyed as a gift in the right context in our lives. But When we make that the sole aim of our lives, everything gets out of whack and we we get disappointed and we leave heartbroken in our lives start to be determined by these things. So hear me, uh, girls, women in the room, you will not find a man that will complete you. Guys, you will not find a woman that will complete you and satisfy the deepest part of your heart. It won't happen. Uh, there is a deep yearning in your heart uh, to be satisfied in this intimacy and it won't, be, it won't happen fully from just another person. So you think, okay, mate, that relationship didn't work. That one left me disappointed and brokenhearted. Maybe the perfect person or the right person or the one that, that God has for me will, will really satisfy my heart. So we, we jump from relationship to relationship and we, we search for it. Okay, that wasn't it, that wasn't it, that wasn't it. Maybe, maybe more, uh, a deeper relationship or a relationship that has this attached to it. Maybe that'll satisfy when we search and we search and we go to this well uh, for happiness and it's a well that we go to, but it won't satisfy our hearts. The third well that we, we go to is approval. This is a well that we often go to. We want uh, other people to look at us and really be pleased with what they see, Right? This is so tough for me. I go to this well very often. We seek the approval and the affirmation of others. Uh, and if we don't get it, it just really gets us off and we, we cater our entire lives to be most suited for the affirmation of others. And this can be so tough where we make this our sole aim, our, our biggest attention and affection in life for going to this well. And these are three wells that we go to instead of the well uh, of Jesus Christ. And, and what's really happening here is we go to these wells and it appears that Jesus is our goal, right? But what's really happening is we exalt the name of Jesus, but in reality, we want something from one of these other wells and we think Jesus can help us get the rope up quicker. And that's not worship of God. That would be idolatry, where we put something else in the place of God in our lives. We're worshiping what Jesus can give us, not Jesus himself. That's a tough question that I try and wrestle with every so often in my life okay, do I I want just the benefits of knowing Jesus? Or do I actually want a relationship with a living God? Is Jesus a means to an end in my life? Or is Jesus the end? Like, do I want Jesus? That's our our first barrier toward worshiping God, drinking from the wrong well. Let's jump into verses 16 uh, through 19 and see where our second well comes from. So Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. Uh, For you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Man, I love this exchange. You see the reality of Jesus pointing out an area in her life, but there's not condemnation. There's there's not this heaping of shame and guilt that Jesus gives. He just simply points it out. So this is, if, if our first barrier is going to the wrong well, we're drinking from the wrong well, our second well um, is gonna be shame. Second, second, or, sorry, second barrier to worship is, is, is shame. So I wanna think about this for a moment. Do we know why this woman is at the well at noon? I I'm wanna I'm give you an example. So ha- have you ever seen someone running on like July 25th or like late July when it's like 180 degrees outside and you're like, what do you think about that person? You're like, idiot. Like, what are you doing? Like, when you die, that's on you because you are running at 2.30 in the afternoon. Like, that is not smart. But if you see somebody running at like 7 a.m. or 7 p.m., you're like, absolutely. Cool. Like, totally normal. I get why you're running. It's nice outside. So, I point this out because it was culturally unheard of to go to, the, go to a well at, at noon in their culture. I mean, it be the hottest part of the day and everyone who went to the well would go before the sun came up. It goes as early as possible because you need the water for all the things that you do during the day. So most women in the first, first century would kind of all go to the well together and then they all come back and there's a reason why this woman would not go with them. There's an area of shame, cultural shame and outcast that would prevent her from being in that community. So she goes at the hottest part of the day when no one would be there. And we see into her life that there's this area of shame and guilt from her life situation. We don't know what the details of her life are. A lot of times people will call this woman out and say, oh, she's in adultery. She's slept around and had all these husbands. I don't know if the text necessarily says that. Um, Some commentaries I read this week said maybe this woman was barren and men kept divorcing her over and over and over again because she couldn't give them a child. She's found herself in this cultural shame. No one wants her. Regardless, she's living with someone who, who isn't her husband, and Jesus points this out. And so um, how, is, how is shame a barrier to worshiping God? I want to think about this for a moment. So I think shame, sorry, I think shame is the state of not receiving the grace of Jesus. It's not having received the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, maybe because we don't believe that Jesus can or that he will. And what results is this shame, we feel not good enough. And oftentimes in my life and in many of our lives, this shame stems from unconfessed or unrepentant sin in our life or brokenness in our life that we, have, we don't have the guts to share with anybody. So we keep it on the inside and we, we have shame on our hearts. So hear me, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, um, unconfessed sin or unrepentant sin in your life will not change your identity in Christ like you are secure as a child of God, but it will affect your ability to worship. It will affect the nearness of God that you are able to feel in your life. It will affect how um, you can hear from him and commune with God. Man, and it's, it's just so easy uh, to just sweep our brokenness under the rug, isn't it? It is for me. Like, it's so easy to just sweep it under the rug. It's a pride issue in my life where I, I want to see it, I wanna seem it to other people as like I'm fully formed in Jesus, like I got it all together. When that's just not the case. I have a long way to go. I think people will love a future version of Larkin better than they love the current version of Larkin or that God will love the future version of Larkin better than he loves me now. So I I hold it in. Hear me, when we don't share our brokenness with others, we miss out on a deeper place of worship. Let me explain what I mean. So I had someone ask me last week, I said, "How, how do I receive the grace of God? It seems kind of like a metaphorical thing, like, how do I receive grace? It's not like receiving, you know, a free coupon at Chick-fil-A. I can't really take that and do anything with it. It's like, how do I receive grace? I think one of the primary ways that we receive grace in our life is, um, to, that sets us free from shame is to confess our brokenness to someone else in our community, This is why James 5, 16, it encourages us to to confess our sin with each other and and that we will be healed if we do that. So this is why marriage is so awesome and so hard because it's just this constant mirror to your own brokenness and you can't escape it. You can't avoid it. like trying to get out of it. And you're like, no, they still see me. At my worst times, this person's gonna see me. So I have to go to my wife, Virginia, and say, baby, I'm so sorry. Like I got angry with you. I jumped to a conclusion and I, I didn't give you patience. I'm sorry, that was brokenness. Or I have to confess, man, I'm, I, I want financial security and control in my life more than I want dependence on Jesus. That's what's happening in my life. I have to confess it. And to, okay, this is what's happening in my heart. And it's these moments where we confess to someone else and they see our brokenness and they say, I forgive you and I love you. That is a tangible picture of how God views us where he sees us through and through. Like, like we're gonna sing in a few minutes the, this song through and through. God sees us through and through and he loves us still. Tangible picture of the grace of God. And, it, and it's not just explicit areas of sin or brokenness in our life. This is areas of doubt and, and unbelief and difficulty uh, in following God. So I feel like every other week, me and Isaac or me and Joshua Soloway or Dave, I like, have to get with him and be like, man, I don't know, my, my faith is low today. I don't really trust the goodness of God today. I'm mad at God for the circumstance that I'm in. And holding it in does not help at all, but confessing it to someone else and saying, okay, God loves you, keep pursuing him. The the reaffirmation of someone and the grace from someone else uh, is a picture of uh, the grace of God. And out of that confession, greater worship grows. So this is hard to know how to do sometimes. Maybe you're like, okay, that sounds great. I don't really know how to do that. Um, I think that the step that we all take is to find someone or a community in our, in our lives that we can be that real with, that we can be that vulnerable with. So maybe it's a roommate when you just, you, you make the decision, hey, we're not going to let this be a shallow friendship. We're not going to let this just stay on the, on the surface level. Like, let's talk about what's going on in our lives, the areas that we struggle to follow Christ, Maybe it's with a house church or a couple close friends or a significant other, but we all need these relationships in our lives where we are confessing the areas where we struggle to follow Christ. And out of that, when we receive the grace of God, it drives shame out of our hearts in a way that allows us to worship more freely. And this is going to lead us into our third barrier. So our first barrier was we're drinking from the wrong well. Our second barrier is that shame prevents us from receiving the grace of God and worshiping more fully. This is our last one. We'll we'll get this out of Verse 22. So in verse 22, it says, you worship what you do not know and we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And um, this is gonna be our third barrier that you can't worship what you don't know. You can't worship what you don't know. This plays out in two ways, knowing God and knowing ourselves. Knowing God and knowing ourselves. So if you don't know who God is, you can't worship God right? If we create our own God out of our modern sensibilities and in ways that kind of fits our culture and our lifestyle a little better, that's not actually worshiping God. So often we think the, the God of the Bible, Jesus in the Bible is too edgy for our culture. We're like, Jesus, you need a better PR person. Like you need a better campaign manager that can kind of edit, you know, your lifestyle and, your, and, and what you say to people um, in a way that doesn't come across so harsh, you know, that's, we we want to edit Jesus in order to fit our 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 lives, and what we do when we do that is that we strip Jesus of his complexity, we strip Jesus of his majesty, and as his true um, deity, as God, and then we wonder why our worship isn't as deep. Here's an example I can give you. Um, so, if I went to my wife Virginia and I said, "Baby, you are you are so beautiful." Like, I love you so much. I love your, your curly, blonde hair. Like, I love, your, I love staring into your dark brown eyes. Like, I love you so, like, that would be really sweet, right? Except that my wife, Virginia, has beautiful, straight brown hair and, like, the prettiest blue-green eyes you've ever seen. Like, it's not nice to say those things to her. <laughs> Because it's not true. No matter how deep my affection can seem or how sincerely I say those things, it doesn't ascribe any compliment or any praise to her because they aren't true. In the same way, if we, I mean, we can just go after the Lord, but if we're not worshiping the God who is truly God, it is not worship. It doesn't ascribe any honor or glory or praise to God. So we have to worship God as he is, not the God that we've created so that's why we have to know who God is. And we also have to know who we are. We have to know ourselves. So if we don't understand who we are, if we remove the fact that we are very broken and in need of grace, this will really rob us from worship. It will be a huge barrier to worship. So we say, man, I'm not that bad of a person. And we start to compare. It's like, okay, I'm not as bad as Donald Trump. So I'm, I'm a good person. Sorry, I didn't mean to get political, but we can all agree. We can all agree there's some, there's some you know, but... But we, we start comparing our, okay, so I'm not that bad. So I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And we start to minimize our brokenness in a way that really decreases and, and minimizes how big the gap was that Jesus crossed in order to save us. And our worship becomes shallow because what Jesus did wasn't really that big of a deal because we're pretty good people. So worship flourishes when we know who we are and we know who God is and we see how massive the gap is that Jesus came in and filled where worship explodes. So oftentimes, if, if we have trouble worshiping God, giving our affection and our attention to God, I'd put some cash down on the table that's in one of these three areas, that we're drinking from the wrong well, that we're experiencing some degree of shame because of who we are, what we've done, or because we're not worshiping the true God or, or seeing ourselves as we truly are. So let me ask you, like, do you have barriers in your life that are robbing you from worshiping God? What's the thing that you're chasing? What is the thing in your life that you, you would say, man, if I, could really, if I could get that, life would be good. Life would be better. It, it would all work out if, if I could have that thing. Maybe that's a college degree. Maybe that's a spouse or getting the job you want, buying a house. We all have these things where we're digging in other wells than Christ. Is there shame in your heart? Is that coming from unconfessed sin in your life? Do you often come to terms with the fact that you are broken and in need of grace? Do you feel like you edit Jesus to fit your your lifestyle so that he fits your perception of what he should be like? And I wanna encourage you today to confess those barriers, to repent from living into those barriers. Maybe that involves a conversation with a friend during communion. Maybe in a second when we're done, you you come back to the respond banner. It'll be a pastoral team back there. We'd love to talk through or pray through anything that you're thinking I wanna implore you. Like, do business with God today in some of these areas. Don't just let this kind of go in one ear and out the other. Like, let's, let's remove some of these barriers in our life that prevent us from worshiping God. So those are the barriers to worship. Now, I wanna see the target that Jesus gives us to aim at when we worship, okay? So let's, let's go back to verse 23 and see the picture of worship that Jesus lays out for us. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So, God is seeking worshipers of both spirit and in truth. Another way to think about this is spirit as kind of the heart, the, uh, the emotions and affections of our lives, and as truth, as the intellectual, uh, as the head of our lives. So, heart and head. One pastor used the language of inflamed heart and informed mind. I really like that language. Jesus is seeking worshipers of inflamed hearts and informed minds. And, and you can't have one of these without the other. It's like two legs. Like you can, you can get by hopping around on one leg for a while, but you're not gonna run very far. You'll get really tired really quick. So what I've noticed is that we all have dispositions, right? So some of us in the room are kind of more on the intellectual side, the head side. And, and you know, we want a theological grid that God fits in and everything fits together nicely and flows You see uh, your affections or your emotions as the enemy because you can't trust them. This is kind of my disposition a little bit. And then the other people on the other side that lean the other way are like, are you kidding me? Like, that's cold and dead. Why do you read so much? You always wanna talk about theology and you don't wanna live like Jesus. You don't wanna do the things that Jesus did. So here's the issue. Both extremes in that situation are wrong. An informed mind Without an inflamed heart leads to a dead religious activity where we just show up once a week and hear someone speak and we sing songs that are on a wall. Like that's all that it is. Seriously, informed mind without an inflamed heart produces hypocrisy because we we know how Jesus lived, but we don't live how Jesus lived. On the other side, an inflamed heart, like if you have the heart, but you don't have the head, it produces like shallow spirituality that won't last because it can't stand uh, under the weight of life circumstances. So when things happen, we start to question and we, we run from God because we don't see the true picture of who God is and how God, how God works. So we can hop around on one of these legs for a while, but it's not gonna allow us to run very far. What God is after, what Jesus is after is a people who are deeply emotionally invested and who know God truly. Man, when we begin to see God for who he truly is, like creator of the universe who spoke into existence the ground that we walk on and everything in life that we see, all the stars, yet once a deep and intentional relationship with his creation and saw the gap that was there and sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we could know God deeply, And spend eternity in God, eternity in heaven with God. Like this is the reality. This is who God is and what God is. When that reality begins to take hold of our hearts, it just inflames our hearts. Our affections begin to grow for Christ. Like this is what God wants from us. And as that begins to grow, it creates the energy and the motivation to continue pursuing the truth of God. And they begin to feed off one another. We have to do these together these truths begin to ignite our hearts and sustain us and create the energy to continue pursuing the truth of God, the knowledge of God. So let's bring this down to the ground a little bit. This is all really nice to talk about, right? But let's, let's bring it down to the ground. Do you ever come into this place on a Sunday morning and just kind of feel stuck? Like, do you ever feel like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm singing the words, but they aren't like coming from my heart. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever have trouble going throughout the week being mindful of God or being a worshiper of God wherever you go and every day? Those are things that, that I struggle with often. Even this morning, I was like sitting on the front row, I'm like, God, I wanna worship you. I'm preaching on worship today, but it's like not coming from my heart. Like, help me, Lord, help me. It's hard, like, why, why do we get stuck? I think we've already talked about some of the barriers that would lead us to that place, now I wanna talk about a few practicals about what it means to live towards something, to, to see a vision for something and to put some steps into our lives that allow us to worship God more fully. And this is gonna work itself out in two ways, communally and personally. So this is really on the ground. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to, to write some of these things down. So we'll start with, with communally. This is our worship with our faith family. It's what we're, what we're doing right now. A lot of people um, don't necessarily see the value in this community. Let's say we can all just kind of be, individually spiritual. We don't, why, why do I need to go to a church? Why do I need to be invested in a church or a house church? Obviously, a lot of you, like, you're here today, so you've seen some value in being here. But, like, here's what I promise you. All week, I'm praying for you. All week, I'm praying for you. A lot of you by name. Some of you, I don't, I don't know yet. But, like, I'm praying that God would transform and, like, break open your heart so that you could love Jesus more. I'm praying for you All week. We come in this place and we ask God to do what only God can do. And I believe that there's something spiritually profound that happens when we come in this place and make much of the name of Jesus in a way that doesn't happen if I just kind of go throughout my life on my own. It's more than just coming together for an hour, like something is happening here. It's grace for the previous week. It's a shot of spiritual adrenaline for the coming week. We center our hearts and our minds on Christ and we remind ourselves of what's true. So we sing and we, sing, we, don't, and we just don't put words on a, screen, on a screen and then sing them because they rhyme. Like, we don't just like the words. is like, the truth of God that we're trying to get into our hearts. We, based on scripture, the truth of God, we sing these songs in worship of God. And you can do that however you like. Every week. You can raise your hands. You can kneel. You can go in the back and dance. Like You are free to worship God in that way when you come in this place. We open the word and we pursue the truth of God. That's what we're doing right now. So we can be reminded of who God is and what God has done, a way that creates a heart that will be motivated throughout the week to live for Christ. We take communion, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus every week. We remember it, okay, get it in my head so that it can get in my heart so I can live for you Christ. Like this is why we do this every week, but it's not just coming into this place that God is after. So you heard it in the text where Jesus says, there's an hour, a day that will come when people won't go to this town or to this mountain to worship God because they will worship in spirit and in truth, they will worship as they go. So God, so if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've put faith in Jesus, God has put his Holy Spirit inside of you and you can worship and commune with God anywhere. Like this is something that the people in the Old Testament could not have fathomed, to have connection with God wherever they go. So God wants people who will worship as they go. This is our second point. We worship personally. We worship communally and we worship personally in ways that aren't connected to ethos. And this is about being mindful of God in our every, everyday lives, in our everyday moments. I really wanna push you right here to think outside the box. Like worship is not just coming here and standing in, in rows and singing words. Like That's not the, the full picture of worship. There's more here. So here's, here's a way that I try to do this. Um, and I wanna encourage you to do this as well. But every couple months, um, I, I make a list of things that stir my affection for Jesus in my life. So um, if, 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 I, if I were to give you any like, thing to do this week, any tool to put into practice this week, it would be to make a list of the things in your life that stir your affection for Jesus So here's what that looks like in my life. So I have Spotify and every week I try to choose a new album with some worship songs that we sing on Sundays. And on some of my commutes throughout the week, I'll just blare it in my car and just go after the Lord. Just me and God, like Ethos didn't tell me to do that. That's just me trying to worship God and give my affection and attention to God. That's a way we can do that. But it's not just explicitly spiritual things. So every morning I wake up and I make a cup of pour over coffee. And I do the whole nine yards. Like, I grind the beans, I heat up the distilled water in my temp-controlled kettle, and I do the whole thing. I'm basically a barista. And, but that would be cool if, if, coffee, if coffee was the end game. If that's all it is, it's, it's a good cup of coffee. Cool, it wakes me up, tastes good. But if we are intentional about keeping our minds aware of what God is doing— and what God has done, it can allow us to find a place of worship. So um, this is gonna be, seem really cheesy, but this is just something that I found that really stirs my affections for Christ, where I, I kind of see coffee as like this potential in the coffee beans. Like I can mess it up. I can like pour wrong and um, have the grind setting wrong. and It can be bitter or too sour, or I can nail the pour over and there's like blueberry and raspberry and stone fruit. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And, and so it's like, I see that as like a metaphor for my day. It's like my day has so much potential I can mess this thing up or I can like, live into what Christ has for me today and like, see all this fruit uh, come into my life and it becomes this place of worship. Another one is every so often um, I try to like as often as I can slow down when I eat my food and pay attention. It's like, thank you God for this burrito. And I'm not trying to be trite when I say that. It's like, God, you did this. You thought of this. That's so cool. Thank you for this gift of food. So uh, every once in a while, Virginia and I will, like, um, just go eat at a restaurant, like, way outside our tax bracket, and just, like, just eat good food, and drink good wine, and laugh, and and just enjoy the night. And I want to be dialed in in that moment, that this is just a shadow of the joy of heaven, of when we get to experience the feast of heaven that it talks about in Revelation. Like, God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for creating this food and this experience. Like, thank you. It becomes worship stirs my affection for God in that moment. I'll give you one more. So I love movies. Anybody love movies? So I love going to movies. And most movies have a very similar plot line. There's a character who's trying to overcome some adversity or obstacle to reach a goal. It's like what most movies are are based around. You can kind of see that poly and work itself out. And, And I love to allow the emotional impact of movies to stir my affections in a way that points me back to the true story of Jesus overcoming sin and death on my behalf so that I can know God. I just remember like, thank you, Jesus. Like, that's just a shadow. That's just a picture of what you've done. Thank you, God. And allow it to stir my affections for Christ. So for you, this may be hiking, Maybe going on a hike and being aware of God's creation, maybe painting. I know my wife, Virginia, loves to paint. Came in last night in her craft room. She was like, paint everywhere. And she's like painting on the floor. And there's, well, not on the floor. There's like a, a mat. She was painting. But it's like, it's a way that God, like she stirs her affections for Christ. What is it for you? Is it a relationship where you get to just have a great conversation with a friend? And while you're talking to them, you're just like looking them in the eyes. And you're like, thank you, Jesus, for this friend who knows me. There are ways that we can go throughout life and neglect the mindfulness of all these things and let these gifts simply be ends in and of themselves or we can allow ourselves to be mindful of God as as there are gifts from God that we can be worshipful out of. It's how we worship personally. So as we go into communion, I, I want us to give a space to worship. Like let's worship God. Let's give God our affection. Let's give God our attention. Let's give God our hearts Let's sing these truths and ask God to like drive them deeply into our hearts for this week. You can do this communally. You can just stand and sing and like, like sing the words. Remember the truth of God. If you want to, you can do this personally. You can sit down and write a list of things that stir your affections for Christ. And okay, when am I going to do that this week? How can I be mindful of when I do that, that uh, it can be a place of worship You can go outside, you can journal, you can talk with your friends. Maybe you need to take a moment to confess some barriers in your life that are preventing you from true worshiping God. This is what's available to us today. This is a time to continue in your worship, however you would like. Let's give him all of our attention today, all of our affection today because of who God is and what God has done. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit Thank you that that we can worship you wherever we go, that we don't have to go to a temple or be in this place, in this church. We don't have to go anywhere. We can worship you wherever we go. Thank you. Would you help us to be aware of the places that we can give you more attention, more affection in our lives, and the barriers that are are robbing us from that attention and affection? God, give us courage to trust you that that true worship, when we are living lives of everyday worship of you, that that is where we find the truest joy, the greatest satisfaction in life when we are truly locked in and connected to you. During this next time, Holy Spirit, would you spur our hearts on towards giving you glory, giving you honor, ascribing praise to your name. Like we read earlier in Psalm 63, because your love is better than life, we give you praise. That's what we wanna do for the next short while. We ask this for your beautiful name, Jesus, amen.